You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Tested. This series explores the book of 1 Peter to learn how we can respond when our faith is tested. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. When I get asked the question, I don't know if you get how you, what your answer is. When I get asked the question, hey, what's your favorite movie? Almost always top of the list is going to be uh, The Godfather. Either either one or two, I'm definitely not three, but one or two, either one, they're both both great. I don't know what you, that kind of pastor that makes me, but I just love the uh, the storylines, just awesome stuff. Uh, but there's a line, here's why I'm bringing it up, because I know you're wondering why, why is he bringing that up? Here's why I'm bringing it up. Um, there's a line in that movie that actually stems from a Chinese philosopher, but you know the line. The line is, uh, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Now what, what that's saying isn't like, hey, uh, what you should, you should go to coffee with your enemies more than your friends. Like when it's time to vacation, go out with your enemies, you know, vacation with your enemies, don't vac, it's not saying that kind of like closeness, but what it's, here's the wisdom behind or, or the thought behind, uh, that comment is if you are not aware of your enemy and you are not aware of their schemes, it's only a matter of time before they destroy you. That's what he's saying. Um, that is, I, I think this is kind of where Peter's going in this passage. So uh, both uh, Peter and Don Corleone, they have something in, in common. <laughs> which is to be aware of your adversary. That's what he's, he's saying. He's warning of, of our adversary. The devil. He, and, and to be clear, the devil here, he's not here to tickle you. He's not here to annoy you. He's not he- here to scratch you. He is here to absolutely destroy and devour you. Now, I, I contemplated showing you a YouTube video of a lion uh, roaring and devouring its prey. But we would lose our PG-13 rating, so I decided not to do that. But if you go YouTube that, it is not... It's not a pleasant thing. It's, it's actually kind of a frightening thing. And, and when you think about the language the Bible uses for, uh, for the devil, for, for Satan, is a roaring lion. That's what it says here. It's, or it's a, it's this great red dragon or the prince of this air and just behind this demonic forces and demons. I mean, it's scary language. And the Bible is clear that the devil is a, uh, supernatural, personal being. The devil isn't a, just a symbol of evil. He's not a mascot. I mean, he's not just, he's not just an idea. It's not a, it's not a fairy tale. Uh, but the devil is an actual being. Now, a lot of non-Christians and even Christians would, you know, they, it's kind of a silly idea to them. They, they'll minimize or completely disregard, uh, the devil. And to quote, uh, yet another movie, which is the last one, Usual Suspects, um, the greatest trick the devil ever, the devil ever pulled was, convincing the world that he didn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that uh, he didn't exist. Now, Jesus thought the devil existed. He uh, spoke about the devil. He warned about the devil. He resisted the devil. I mean, he went toe-to-toe, and uh, we have an account of him resisting the devil. Uh, now, if you're, a, if you're not a Christian here today, I, I get why you would disregard what Jesus said or did. Uh, but if you are a Christian... Um, you need to know that that Jesus took the devil very seriously. So we one of the big issues that we have 
Um, again, you want to you want to know what your enemy is. You want to know the schemes of your enemy, or they will destroy you and devour you, which is what Peter says. One of the problems that we have is that we are um, we we are unaware that we can be we can be unaware of the devil, which I think is a thrust. But another mistake that can be brought out, which I think we'll uh, look at it in this text, is that we can have we can be overaware. So we can have an underfocus. Or we can have an over-focus. There are some people who have almost an unhealthy fear uh, or fascination with the devil. So the devil's behind everything. You know, the, you know, the devil did this. The devil didn't know. De- you did that. You, the devil didn't do that. You did that. They blame the devil for everything. They're doing exorcisms on everybody. Uh, and they're just giving the devil way too much credit. Uh, so there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a risk where we can underfocus, but there's also the risk that we can, we can overfocus. Uh, I don't know if you guys know much about a hognose snake. Um, I know you're busy with, you know, soccer practice and things like that, but, it, but if you ever have time to, to, to read up on what a hognose snake does, it's kind of just like the devil. It has the two, two prong strategy. When, when he's threatened by an enemy, the first thing a snake, the snake will do, it'll rear itself like a cobra. And it'll puff itself up and it'll, and it'll hiss at you and, and snap at you and it'll make itself feel like it's bigger than it actually is when in reality is bite is like, you know, like getting stung by a bee. Or the second thing, if that doesn't work, the second thing we'll do, you can YouTube this too. Um, it, it'll just flip on its back, on its belly and it'll hang its mouth open real wide with its tongue out, like way, way too much drama, like pretending it's dead. A lot of drama, a lot of like pretending. And, and it, what the, what he's trying to do there, he's trying to just make uh, make his enemy feel like he's not really a threat. And that's what the devil does. It, to, to, he either presents himself as more than he is to you, or he like wants you to think that he's really not all that harmful. You're in one of these categories. I mean, there's a few per, a few of us may be perfect, but we're one of those categories. Um, but here's how you really understand. This is how you really understand how the devil uh, works in your life is to understand your bigger enemy. You have an, you have enemies. You have enemies that are warring against your life. The devil is one of those enemies. But the bigger enemy is you. The bigger enemy is your sin. Um, the Bible says that the devil has a foothold in your life, has a way of getting to you to destroy you, has a conduit that it can travel through, the devil can travel through to get to you, but that conduit is your sin. The only way that the devil can mess with you is through unrepentant sin. The devil, it's like he's like a piano player and you're the strings of the piano. Have you ever tried to play a piano that didn't have strings? Let me spare the, this, it's not just electronic either. If it's, it, let me spare the expense. It, it doesn't make a noise, uh, when you play a piano on the strings. And so if you don't, if there's no unrepentant sin that you have, uh, and you're walking humility and you're, the devil cannot, can't do anything about that. I mean, the Bible says things like, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Well, that sounds pretty easy. Why don't we all, why don't we all do that? Why, why don't we all do that? Um, how you do that, is you repent of sin in your life. The only way the devil can mess with you is through not repenting of your sin. But if you don't repent of your sin, 
I mean, the devil will play note after note after note after note. I mean, some of you, I mean, he's like created these, these like masterpiece symphonies. He plays over and over and over again. And he is destroying with you. He's destroying you. It's why you're unhappy. It's why you feel unfulfilled. It's why you feel like nothing ever works for you. It's because you're, you're, you're caught up in these, these patterns of sin that you refuse to repent of. And it's rooted in two things that we're going to talk about today. One is pride. The other one is anxiety. Now, in the Bible, it's interesting. Almost always it connects demonic activity with pride. Because the reality is that is the sin that messed this thing up in the first place. First, it was Satan, Lucifer, the actual being that we're talking about. Um, he's a, he, he was an angel. He was an archangel of, uh, uh, in, in heaven. He wanted to be his own boss. He thought more of himself. That was, he was his sin of pride. He was kicked out of heaven. And the original sin with Adam and Eve was, was pride, thinking, hey, I can, you know, I don't need God. I can do things on my own. And the Bible always connects demonic activity with pride. Let me show you a few examples. In, in Ephesians, it says this. Ephesians 4, you can read this later. So you got some things to YouTube, and then you read the Bible, okay? <laughs> Ephesians, do not, let your, do, not, do not let the sun go down on your anger or your bitterness. So, okay, so what is anger? Why, why do we get angry? Well, it's because you're not doing what I want you to do. The world isn't responding the way it should and I get angry. Why am I bitter? Well, because you don't treat me the way I think I should be treated, so I'm bitter. Both of those things are an inflated view of myself. When I get angry, it's because I think I'm this and I'm getting treated like this. Right? Same thing with bitterness. I deserve this, but I'm getting this and I'm bitter. Don't let the sun go down on your bitterness. Why? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because they are forms of pride. And then check this out. Because you give an opportunity for the devil. So you squash anger and you squash bitterness so that you give no opportunity for the devil. So you squeeze the conduit from which the devil can work in your life and destroy you. And make no mistake, he will destroy you. First Timothy, we talked about eldership last week. First Timothy 3 is about eldership. He says, hey, don't, one of the qualifications, don't put a new convert into a position of leadership. Otherwise, he will get conceited and fall into a snare of the devil. Conceit, pride, snare of the devil. Connected. James 4, another passage about um, you know, James is, a, is going after these guys in the church who just thought they were more than that. And he said this, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It sounds like he's saying two different things. Okay, so what do you want me to do? Do you want me to submit to God? Or do you want me to yield to God, submit to God, or do you want me to resist the devil? What, what is he talking about? He's talking about the same thing. He's saying, look, you, you're, you need, God says this, you need to, you need to submit yourself to this, and that is what it means to resist the devil. What does it mean to resist the devil? What does it mean to get the push demonic activity out of your life? It, it, it's found in a yielded, submitted life, which has a lot to do with humility. So let's talk about those two. Let's talk about the two sins that, that, that Peter talks about, which gives, again, gives, gives way for the, the enemy to come in and destroy your life. It's pride, and anxiety. It's pride 
and anxiety both open your life up to more pain. Well, what is pride? Well, pride is multifaceted. I mean, you there you you can just go through the Bible, and, and and pride will be will be described in multiple different ways. So you there's a lot of ways the Bible is or excuse me there's a lot of ways that pride is described in the Bible. One way is self satisfaction. Isaiah 13. You read this later, verse six. It says, and they. Um, it, well, first of all, verse five. It says, he says, God says, I cared for you in the wilderness. I took care of you. And then verse 6 says, and as they had their pasture. So as I began to bless them, they became satisfied and proud and they forgot about me. Closely related to self-satisfaction and self-sufficiency. Deuteronomy 8.17. You say in your heart, my power and my strength of my hand has gave me this wealth. So it's this idea of like, Man, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm successful because I do this. I am, I am who I am because of what I have, what I have because of what I've done. So there's a sense of entitlement and I deserve this. Yeah, I deserve to have a happy life. I deserve to have money. I deserve to have this house. I deserve to have these relationships because I've, I've, I've produced it. I work, I went to school. I'm smart. I work hard. I'm savvy relationally. I can figure all these things out. And so this is thinking that I am self-reliant. It's a form of pride. God's like, you didn't come up with that. I gave you all that. that. Your ambition came from me. Your hard work came from me. Your ability to think came from me. The fact that you were born in the United States of America, by the way, that was me too. Thirdly, it's self-reliant. I don't need input. Jeremiah 13, the, this wicked people refuse to listen to my words. Matthew 23, pride values self over service. It's always about me, the prideful person says. Pride refuses to trust God, Proverbs 28. Pride is anxious about the future, Isaiah 51. But let's talk about what Peter, how Peter describes pride, because there's another aspect to it, another way of looking at pride. He says pride is anything that refuses the grace of God. So you remember that? Um, it's in uh, verse uh, 6 that God opposes, or verse 5, excuse me, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Pride is anything that refuses the grace of God. You see, God is God in his mercy and his love and his wisdom and his power. His grace is like this rushing river, this, roar, this amazing river, wide, deep river that wants to flood into your life. That, you know, you're, you have this dry, thirsty, barren soul in the valley and, it, and it's thirsting for what God has. And the good news is God's grace just wants to flood in your life like a river. Pride is erecting a dam so they can't. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Pride is anything that refuses the grace of God. So uh, what is the grace of God? The grace of God in its, in its apex is Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying on a cross, paying the penalty for our sin, but not just paying the penalty for our sin that, that, we, deserve, that we deserve to be on the cross, but he stepped in the way. But not only that, that he in that act he gave us his life. So he died for our sin. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, He that knew no sin became our sin. 
and he gave us the righteousness of God, meaning that the righteousness that belongs to Jesus is imputed to us. We're the ones who deserve to be disqualified. We're the ones who deserve punishment. He took the punishment. But not only that, he gave us a gold medal. He gave us his life. He gave us, we got the, we, we got the perfect score. So when the father looks upon Jesus, of course he sees someone who's perfect, blameless, and beautiful. Hey, if you're in Christ, he looks upon you. Perfect, lovely, beautiful. That's the grace of God. And if that doesn't thrill your heart, there's two reasons. There's, there's some reasons for that. First of all, the first response to the grace of God is to receive it. Which, that is the choice that I recommend. The other things you can do, the other things you can do with the grace of God is you can refuse it. And you refuse it in two different ways. One is you say, I'm not that bad. I don't need it. I'm not that bad and God is not that mad. Um, I, you know, like, yeah, of course I've made some mistakes. You know, who hasn't? But I'm not that bad. So it's, it's, you know, I don't need God's grace. I'm doing just fine. The second one is like, it's too easy. You know, I, 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 I'm too bad. I, I know that I'm terrible and I need to do something to make up for it. And yes, that comes in the way of thinking like, oh, I'm a miserable person. But it also comes in the form of like, you know, okay, Jesus died for me, but I need to be a success in business if I'm going to be worth anything. Yes, Jesus died for me, but I need to have real, I need to have this relationship if I'm going to be worth anything. Yes, Jesus died for me, but this needs to be working well in my life. Yes, Jesus died for me, but I need to have lots of money. Yes, Jesus died for me, but I need this. I need this. So it's, it's the sense of like saying, okay, what he's done for me. Yes, I'm bad, but I, I got to do something else to fill up the gap in my life. Some people reject grace because they think they're too good. But on the other hand, some people reject grace because they think they're too bad. Both are pride. Because both resist the grace of God. One group refuses to absorb the bad news. One group refuses to absorb the good news. And they are both self-centered. One, the, the one says, you know, I know God forgives me, but I can never forgive myself. I can never forgive myself. That sounds humble. It sounds poor in spirit, but it's pride. And here's why. Because if, if, if that's me, if I'm saying that in my life, God's verdict is not the controlling influence in my life. If I'm, if I'm saying, well, I'm so bad and, and God can never forgive me and I've got to do something to make up the difference. God's verdict is not the controlling influence in my, okay, what is? My verdict is. My verdict is the controlling influence. What I think is real, what I think is right, sounds low and humble, but it's, it's a form of pride. And th- again, this is where, you know, this is where idols creep in. And so we feel like, well, I've got to, got to do well in school. If I'm going to be somebody, I got to, I got to have this job. I'm going to be somebody. And the reason why God's grace isn't enough to you, because the true God that you have is this other God. And this God is cursing you because you're not meeting their standards. And so you end up refusing the grace of God because really you've made something else the controlling influence, which again is you in your opinion. This is why you have hurt feelings. Um, this is why you're, uh, yeah, easily hurt, easily offended, easily irritated, offended at other people, envious of other people who are doing well in areas that you wish you could do well in. You're, they're constantly, um, you're constantly comparing yourself to others. 
You're constantly analyzing how people view you. You're constantly analyzing how you view you. You're overweighting your opinion on how you feel about you. Well, so what do you do? I mean, this is you. If you either have this overview of yourself, like, you know, I'm, I'm not that bad. Or if you have this view of like, I'm too bad and I've got to make up the difference. Uh, what do you do? Well, you, you humble yourself, right? As in, that's what it says. Um, how do you humble yourself? Well, you stop thinking about yourself. Humility is not thinking more of yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is simply just thinking of yourself less. You're so captivated in the grace of God and the amazement of what he's done for you. And it thrills your heart to the point where you don't even, well, I forgot about myself today. I was thinking about something else. I was captivated by something else. I mean, I know the true nature of me. I know what I deserve. I know who I am, but this is how God treats me anyway. And it thrills my heart and it works in this uh, this uh, this worship that's that's coming from my heart to God is working itself out in the way of others. I don't even think about myself. In fact, I, I glance at myself in the mirror. I'm like, oh, there, I forgot about you. I haven't thought about you all day. Your opinion, your view of yourself, your emotions move out of the center. Experiencing the grace of God. Again, pride is anything that refuses the grace of God in your life. So if you're not experiencing the grace of God, um, there's pride in your life. There's a pride in your life. Well, if I was experiencing the grace of God, I would be different. No, there's pride. If, there's, if, you, if you're not experiencing the grace of God, there's only one reason for it. It's because there's pride. You're thinking too much of yourself. It's, you're either thinking more of yourself or you're thinking less of yourself, but you're not, you're not thinking, you're not, you've got pride working in your life. Experiencing the grace of God has a way of shattering this high view and this low view, and it becomes all satisfying to you. I love how it says clothe yourself, or it says things like humble yourself. Which lets us know that humility is not—it's not an emotion, it's not a feeling, it's not something. Well, you're humble, you're not. It's—it's it's a discipline, it's an action, it's something that you decide to do, it's something that you uh, position yourself. So one of the things it says in Philippians uh, chapter two, I think verse uh, four or five, it says to count your opinion or count others' opinion as more significant than yours. What it doesn't say is other people's opinion is more significant than yours, but what it does say is count it as so. Can you do that? Can you, can you take your opinion and just whoop, down a notch or maybe several notches? The way you humble yourself is you wake up every morning. I love that word clothed because I mean, you know, you wake up, hopefully you're doing this, clothing yourself. And so you're like, you're clothing yourself with humility. You guys did it today. So well done. You clothing yourself with humility. Every day, making the decision today, when you wake up in the morning, you begin to think, I'm going to see this person at work and I can't believe what they're, they're irritating me. They're not doing what I want. They're causing me all kinds of frustration. And da, 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 da. You stop for a second. You're like, you know what? Maybe just maybe, maybe just maybe my life is an irritation to God. Maybe just maybe I've done a few things to annoy him. Maybe just maybe I've done a few things to offend him. But you know what? He treats me with grace anyway. If he can go from way up here to all the way down here, I can go like this. Do, do, do. I can do that. I can do that. So I'm just going to lower what I... Because you're, you're creating all this drama in your life 
because of what you think about what somebody else did or what you think somebody else should do. And it, it's just, it's, it's pride and the devil is playing chopsticks on you over and over and over again. Resist the devil. Humble yourself. Clothe yourself with humility and he will flee from you. Pride. It's not an emotion. It's an act. Excuse me. Pride is, is what? It's the first sin he mentions. Humility is not an emotion. It's an action. It's a discipline. What about the other sin? Anxiety. Now, this feels harsh. I don't know about you, but when I'm, you know, again, you've got soccer practice to go to, but when I'm thinking about, like, okay, anxiety is one of these two, it's right up there with pride that we should, because it's totally outlawed in the kingdom of God. Just point blank says, you know, Jesus, don't want to be anxious here. It says cast, you know, you shouldn't be anxious. And I just like begin to think about that. And in fact, I was reading in a, let me show you something in Revelation 21. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns, that's hell, a fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Go, can you go back to the first slide, please? Now, okay, talking about hell. Okay, I get murderers. I get that. I get the detestable. I mean, even idolaters, you know, those who worship other idols, sorcerers. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to do that. Um, faithless, yes. Sexually immoral, even. The cowardly. What? What? That's not fair. I can't control if I'm afraid. I can't control if I'm nervous. Can I? Can I control that? There is a uh, essay written titled The Mother Who is a Coward, which I don't recommend sending to your mom on Mother's Day. But, <laughs> but it underlined uh, how damaging anxiousness can be. This mother was asked to leave. She said, I can't leave. I'm a shy person. This, this mother was, uh, had in front of her a wayward teenager. I can't, can, I can't lay down the law. I'm afraid what she may think of me. This person, this mother had a, a neighbor down the street who lost a loved one. I can't go comfort this woman. You know, what if she asked me something I don't have the answer to? This woman, mother was asked to serve. I can't give of myself. What if I don't have enough for my, for me? And God was not pleased with this woman because this woman was afraid of everyone but God. This woman was not thinking of anyone but herself. Anxiety is a refusal to believe how much God loves you and how much God cares for you. It's refusing to believe that. Have you ever known anyone, maybe your kids, that you've loved so much that you'd do anything for? Like you would sac, I mean, you have, you've sacrificed so much, so much money, so much time, so much energy, so much emotional energy, but they still don't trust you. 
You have anybody in your life? Don't raise your hand. But do you, you know what that feels like? To give and to give and to give and to give. But still, people don't, they don't trust you. You know what that feels like? God knows what that feels like. God knows exactly what that feels like. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not give, not, how will he not also give him graciously all things? God's like, I tore my son to shreds. You're somehow worried I won't take care of some detail of your life? I tore my son to shreds and, and you think somehow like I'm going to let you starve to death? I tore my son to shreds, but you're worried about a relationship and how that's going to work out? I provided you this seven-course meal, and you're worried about whether or not you're going to get a dinner mint. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body or what you'll put on. You see, these are the things that they worried about in this culture. Very basic. We don't worry about those things. Most of us don't. What do you worry about? Will I be important? Do not worry about where your career is headed. Do not worry about whether or not your kids will get in the school that you hope they'll get into. Do not worry about you'll have the relational satisfaction that you feel you want. Don't worry about these things. Don't give them a second thought, he says. He says this, For the Gentiles seek after these things. The Gentiles were those who did not know that they had a Father in heaven who loves them. Those who don't know that they have a Father in heaven who loves them, they worry about these things. They seek these things. You seek them not. You have a Father in heaven who loves you. Don't you see the birds in the air? Don't you see the grass in the field? Takes care of them. He's going to take care of you. Worry and anxious thinking is a stab It's not just, I'm a fearful, small. It is a stab into the integrity of the love that God has for you. Every time you are overcome by anxiousness, it's, it's, it's just taking, it's saying to God, I don't believe who you are. I don't believe who you are. It's a, it's a frustrated aspiration to omniscience. And God is not wanting to... Omniscience is basically this desire to be all-knowing. And so we think, like, I, I know what, what, what it takes to make me happy. I know what I need to have a successful life. I know, what it, I, know, I know, I know, I know, and I'm afraid that God won't get it right. So I worry. God wants to heal you. And for some, this is, this could be a very deep pattern in your life. And I don't want to be insignificant. I don't want to be unsensitive to the things that you struggle with. But I do want you to know about the true freedom that's found in God. It's not a trick. It's not a ploy. It's not trite. But you do have an enemy. This is reality. You have an enemy who wants to devour you. And there may be layers to this. There may be layers to this that may take 
that long to, to wire out, but God wants to set you free from this. And this isn't even just for those of us who appear less confident, because to be honest with you, I would guess that the type A's in the room are the ones who may struggle with this the most. The ones who like, man, I've got my life figured out and I've got, I'm doing this next year and this in five years and this in 10 years. And I've got it all planned out. And you're the one who may be the most fragile about worry and anxiousness. It's not just for those of us who feel less confident. So what do you do about it? Well, it says to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Worry always stems from an overconfidence in your own opinion. Again, this is about believing the verdict that God puts over your life. It's about believing that. It's about trusting that. And maybe you have... So there's a really helpful passage that may help you in this area. Romans 12 says that to not be conformed to this, to this world, but to be therefore renewed, to have this renewed mind. And you may have deep patterns of thinking. Again, this is, I realize this is complicated for some of you. You may have deep patterns of thinking that cause you to be extremely anxious individual to, to extremely. And there, there may be some severe ruts that need to be worked through, but at its root, it's not trusting the, the verdict that God's put over your life, what he says about you. So it says to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So humility is saying, God, I don't know what's coming. You know, I, I see my life and I see, I see it going this way. I see my health going this way. I see my finances going this way. I see my relationships going this way. I see my life. I don't know how this, it looks bad to me, but I trust you. You're powerful. You're all-knowing, and I know you love me, and I know you care for me. And that's what humility is, is, is casting that anxiety. It's not, so all of us probably live with this kind of low-grade worry in the back of our minds. So we're going about our day, we're doing whatever we're doing, we're, we're shopping, we're, we're working, we're cooking, we're uh, playing sport, whatever. But in the back of our mind, there's this thing going in the back that we're worrying about. We have this anxiousness. And it, it's just, it's, it's messing with us. And the way that you cast it off isn't to just like, well, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just not going to think about it. Now you, you, you actually take it front and center. You plop that thing down on the dining room table and you begin to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to speak to this. I'm going to speak to the truth God is. God says that he loves me. God says that he'll take care of me. God says that he'll, I mean, he says, look at the sparrows. Uh, look at the grass. He says he's going to do this for me. He created me. He died for me. Will he not give me all things? Will he not work out all things for my good? Will he not do these things? And on the basis of that truth, you begin to cast off these feelings, these thoughts, these things that haunt you. You resist this. And that's what it looks like to to humble yourself. So you cast off your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Um, this is where community is great because sometimes um, we can't always see this. In fact, if this is deep in our life, I mean, I mean, friends are great when you're, when you're, when you're under uh, fear and anxiety, when you're, when you're given to worry because a, they're hopefully they're listening to you. I mean, hopefully they're, they're that compassionate. I'm going to put my arm around you. Let's, let's talk for a while. Let me, let me, you can, un- you can unload on me. You can just speak what's, you know, I'm not going to judge. I'm just, you speak to me. And, um, you listen 
and you you comfort and you empathize. Um, but also being a friend means that you, you, you speak truth as well, which is you're believing this about yourself and God says this about yourself. You believe that your life is going in a bad direction, but God says your life is going in a good direction. He's, he's going, you, you believe that you're not going to be taken care of, but he says he will take care of you. You believe that your life is, is amounting to nothing, but he says that you are seated in heavenly places and that you have a place with him in heaven and that he is predestined you for good works that you may walk in him. Let's discover these good works together. To come alongside and to empathize and to show sympathy and to, but to also to speak truth and say, man, you need to believe God. Let's believe God together. Let's believe what he says about you. Let's not believe what you say about you. And yes, you need to know there is an enemy at work in your life that's sowing discord, doubt, and he's playing you. Don't let him. He wants to devour. That's all he wants to do. He wants to devour you. And the only way he can devour you is if you leave the door open for him to devour you. How you slam the door in the day. You humble yourself. You get rid of pride. And you cast off anxiety. Let me show you that this Horatio Spafford, he wrote the, a hymn that we sometimes sing and that we're going to uh, hopefully sing here in a bit. Uh, it is well with my soul. And he just, he lost everything, man. He sent his family over to America from, from England. And uh, the ship went down and he lost his kids and his wife telegraphed back or saved alone. Basically, I'm, I'm the only survivor. We lost all of our kids. And they got together and they cried. And they, and in the middle of that, God spoke to him. And it's the hymn that we often sing, that we'll sing here in a bit, It Is Well With My Soul. That regardless of whatever happens to me, it is w- w- well with my soul because I know I have a Father in Heaven who loves me, who working out all things to my good. And I love this, I love this line. It says, My sin not in the part has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. A lot of our guilt, or excuse me, a lot of our anxiety stems from guilt that we have about ourselves and about what we believe. And, man, when you get in this place of just recounting the, good, the, the goodness of God and what he's done in your life, and let the grace of God come in and, in, a, in a humble place of worship and let him smash this high view that you have of yourself, but also this low view of yourself. And he will, as you fixate on the grace of God, he will teach you to say, it is well with my soul. And you will have a peace that passes all man's understanding and you will have an abiding joy and you will, ha- you will crush the enemy of your soul.